0: We came across Grace Bible Church, and we quickly realized that they were teaching from the Scripture. They uh, were teaching the grace of Christ. They were loving college students, and they were loving missionaries, and they were loving each other. So we've jumped into the church, and off we went. Probably one of the biggest influences that Grace had on, on us as a couple, and each one of us individually, is learning how to love other people and learning how to pour out our lives into other people's lives instead of looking for everybody else to take care of us. When we start trying to apply an eternal perspective to life and knowledge that our mistakes are forgiven by Christ, how do we apply that in the way we react with other people, the way we deal with other people, the way we love other people? Fundamentally, when we draw the line on where we have time to do things, it's trying to commit to things that have eternal value, and this is the place that that commitment lands. I have learned to hold things loosely that I used to hold very tight. I mean, you just cannot take it with you, so you might as well give it away. What do I really believe in? Do I believe that God loves me? Well, yes, I do. Well, if I believe that, then everything else is gonna take care of itself. And if I believe that, then I believe that I'm also called then to give that love away.
1: Pray, Church. Father, I pray that we would, in fact, believe that that uh, you do love us and you you love us uh, richly and deeply in Jesus. I pray that we would be safe and secure in that, and I pray, Father, that as a result, we would uh, just overflow and be generous to others and giving and kind. and And I pray, Father, that uh, even this morning, because you've given us the gift of your Spirit dwelling in us, that your Spirit would speak to each of us personally, individually, in a really powerful way, and we would have courage to respond in obedience through the power of your spirit. It's in Christ's name that we give thanks. Amen. So yeah, that was a pretty good birthday present for me. I enjoyed that. (laughs) Kind of overwhelming, too, and I just want to say, I know we have a lot of youth over here. You have a whole different perspective And parents, you know this, when your kids move into the youth ministry program, so I want to say the youth ministry, uh, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the leaders, and I'm thankful that my kids have friends in this place to walk with Jesus alongside. So youth ministry, yay for you. (laughs) So thankful. Okay, um, I need you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. If you brought your books, we're going to be page 52. There's space to take notes. If you didn't get a book, again, uh, if you missed out, there will be some on the table on the right-hand side as you're exiting or in the Welcome Center on the left-hand side. But as we begin, I'm going I'm to give you a little quiz. I'm going to tell you several phrases. And after I tell you the phrase, I want you to tell me if it's biblical or not. All right. So I'm going to say the phrase, and then I'm going to say biblical, and you're going to say yes or no if it's biblical or not biblical. Right. So um, first service they didn't really do very well on this quiz. So you guys uh, got to be ready. All right, here's the first phrase. God helps those who help themselves. Biblical? No. Okay, well done. Good job. No, it's, it's not. I mean, he doesn't want us to be lazy, but he helps the helpless, right? Those who are completely broken, God uh, helps. Okay, so one down. Well done. Penny saved is a penny earned. Biblical? No, no but that's good advice, right? <laughs> It's not a bad. It's not a bad idea. Uh, it's attributed to Ben Franklin, but somebody else said it far earlier. And it's all. It's a little bit proverbial, right? Storing up our our wealth. Uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. Biblical. Okay, great. You know, we had a lot. Of, it was interesting. Nine fifteen. They wrote some yeses and nos. I'm like, seriously. My mom taught me this and swore it was from the Bible. Right? For years, literally, we debated on this. Uh, this actually. I discovered is an old Babylonian proverb that John Wesley revived and I'm sure his mother taught it to him, right? Okay, fourth one. Hate the sin but love the sinner. Biblical? Okay, then. Nice. Yeah, see, I enjoyed first service that they were arguing and they were debating, right? I heard a couple bunch of yeses and some noes, mostly noes. Uh, it's not a biblical phrase, but it's a it's a good thought, right? This is St. Augustine. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. It's a good idea. It's not technically biblical. God will not give you more than you can handle. Biblical? Any yeses? Okay, there we go. All right. Yeah, I started a little easier and got a little bit more difficult. Technically, again, not a biblical phrase, but can anybody give me a verse that seems to reflect that? 1 Corinthians 10, right, verse 13 God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. So, pretty biblical concept, right? Alright, money is the root of all evil. evils. Biblical? Go loud, no, over there. <laughs> no, anybody? Yes, it sound biblical at all? Well, it sound, sounds kind of biblical. It's not biblical, actually. Um, it comes from kind of a... Mess up of First uh, Timothy six for the love of money is a root, not the root, but the love of money, not money itself, is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, uh, money itself is not evil or righteous. Money is just a tool, and you can spend it on things that are completely foolish and wasteful and evil, or you can invest it in even eternity, as we talked about it a couple weeks ago. So you can use it for righteous purposes. It's not the root of all kinds of evils, but the love of money. Now that's dangerous. Right? The love of money, Paul says, is destructive. It even pulls people away from their faith in Jesus Christ. He will say later in Colossians 3, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, because greed is idolatry. Okay, greed is idolatry because literally the word for greed in Greek means to have more. Okay, greed means to have more. That's the love of money, the lust for money, the longing for money. I've got to have more and more and more of it. That is, in fact, Paul says, idolatry. Now what we're going to talk about this morning is idolatry. And I realize it's a little bit of a tricky subject to talk about, because none of us probably have little statues of Baal or even Buddha or even statues of cash, piles of cash, right, that we bow down before and we uh, make offerings and that kind of thing. So we don't, we don't think we have a cultural equivalent, but we do. We're going to start with a biblical definition of what idolatry actually is and then apply it to our culture. And then we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to shine his light deep into all of the crevices of our own heart and reveal our own idols, and then crush them. Okay? That's what we're going to do this morning. So, if you're just jumping in with us, we're in a series on generosity, and we've been answering this question, why should we become generous and joyful givers? Why should we long to be generous people? And we're in the fourth week, and our fourth answer is this, because generous and joyful giving crushes our idols. And our idols, if we don't crush them, will destroy us. So, Generous and joyful giving is one of the ways that we crush So I want you to turn with me now to Isaiah chapter 44, and we're going to start by trying to build a biblical understanding of idolatry. Isaiah chapter 44, and read with me in verse 12. It says, the man shapes iron into a cutting tool, and he does his work over the coals fashioning it, that is, fashioning an idol with hammers and working it with his strong arm. He also then gets hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and he becomes weary. Another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it very carefully with red chalk. He works it with planes and outlines it with a compass. And he makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of man, so that it may sit in his house. Surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes a cypress or an oak "'and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. "'He plants a fir, but it is the rain that makes it grow. "'Then it becomes something for a man to burn, "'so he takes one of them and warms himself. "'He also makes fire to bake bread, "'and then he takes another and he makes it a god "'and worships it. "'He makes it a graven image and he falls down before it. "'Half of it he burns in the fire, "'over this half he eats meat as he roasts a roast, "'and he's satisfied.' He also warms himself, and he says, "Ah, I'm warm, I've seen the fire. But the rest of it, he makes into a god, his graven image. He falls down before it, and he worships. He also prays to it, and he says, Deliver me, for you are my god. Deliver me, for you are my god. But throughout the ancient Near East, and even in many nations today, people will take gold or silver or wood or stone, and they will shape it into an idol or an image that represents a god, And there were gods and are gods in the human imagination that can cover everything that you want or need. So if you wanted something or you needed something, you would find out what God had control over that thing. And then you would shape an image and you would pray that if you had been careful enough and artistic enough and put enough value into this idol, that the God would honor that and come inhabit your idol and then respond to all of your requests your request for deliverance or rescue. God save me, save me from famine and pestilence, save me from foreign armies and invaders. God rescue me, God bless me. Cause your rains to fall upon my crops, let them be fruitful. Lord, let me let me have a wife and let her have children and let all my children live so they can provide for me. Let me be blessed. Let me be guarded and protected so I have power over my enemies and power over situations in my life, God, give me what I want when I want it. And Israel was constantly surrounded by idolatrous nations, and they were tempted to follow in the ways of these nations, because they learned that Yahweh couldn't be manipulated very easily. And he didn't always give them what they want, wanted, when they wanted it. And so they began to add alongside other gods. Now remember, in the history of their idolatry, they didn't actually stop worshiping Yahweh, they just added other gods too. Because they couldn't get what they wanted from Yahweh, they would say, well, let me also worship Baal, and Asherah, and Asherah, and Anat, because God's not giving me all of the desires and longings of my heart, which is really the essence of idolatry. The Lord would say to Ezekiel, son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. See, ultimately the issue wasn't the the tiny image of stone or wood or gold or silver. The issue is what that represented in their hearts. That they were turning to something other than, different from, or alongside of God to get what they wanted. If God's not going to give it to me, then I will find a way. I will make a way. That's idolatry. So, one definition of idolatry would be this. Worshiping anything other than or in addition to God to get what we want or think we need for life. I have to have this to make life full and satisfying and complete, and God's not giving it, so I'm going to go find it. That's not my idol. Timothy Keller wrote an excellent book on idolatry. It's called Counterfeit Gods. In it, he said this, An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I will feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. But I've, I've added worship of another thing, or I've transferred worship to another thing because I believe that that thing will make my life feel full and satisfying. I will have significance. I will have value. I will have meaning if I get that thing. That's idolatry. And by that definition, we have all kinds of idols in our own culture, don't we? Right, let's talk about just a few. I'm going to give you a list. and it's not, it's not going to be an exhaustive list. And one of the things I want you to notice about my list is I'm not, I'm not actually going to list money because money isn't normally itself an idol. It's just a tool to chase my idols, right? There aren't a lot of people who get like piles of cash, fill the room and then go swim around in it, right? Because they, they love the physical money. It's what money represents, right? What money can get for me. Money enables me to chase after my idols, right? So that's why I didn't put money in the list itself. So let me give you a few examples. Uh, pleasure. And I'm going to start from the obvious and move to those who are not quite as obvious, right? Pleasure. There are some who say my life will be rich and full and satisfying and complete if I can have more food, more drink, more sex, more pleasure, more vacation, more travel, more I'm gonna I'm gonna work and work so hard and get enough money that I can retire and no one can tell me what to do at all. Instead, I will just get to go pursue all of my pleasures, all of my travel, all of my hobbies. It's become an idol. Pleasure is kind of an obvious idol. There's also praise. My, my life is, is full and satisfying when, when others acknowledge me and respect me and praise me. You now, I remember when uh, I was in junior high, I wanted as much as anything else a, a, a Lacoste shirt. Right, you know, Lacoste's kind of making a comeback, right? IZOD, it's got the little alligator in the tail coming over, right? In my day, I mean, that was it, right? Adidas was kind of cool, and Nike was just kind of coming up. But if you wanted to be um, among the, the really cool kids, you had, you had Lacoste shirts. And remember, as I said last week, my parents didn't have much money at all growing up. So I'm like, oh, man, would you please get me a Lacoste shirt? Would you please? I just need an IZOD. I, just, I need that alligator, right? Oh, you know, it's just really... You know, and for some of you, it's hard to relate to, but just put yourself back into your 13, 14, 15-year-old self, there are things that you want. And you know, for me, maybe it was excelling in sports, but also day in and day out, you're sitting in class, people can't see how you do in sports and who cares about school, but what am I wearing? Right? For me, that was, was kind of a big deal. I wanted Lacoste. My sister was a little older, she got a job, bought herself her own Lacoste shirts, like, so she could hang out with the really cool kids and fit in. So one day my mom came home and she had a couple shirts for me and I took them out and they weren't lacoste, they were le tigre. <laughs> it's like, so it was, you know, kind of, if you didn't look close, you could, wouldn't know, but it was a tiger and his tail even came over, but it's like, man, it would be better if I wore no shirt at all. Right? <laughs> le tigre. I mean, I still, I have, these are vivid memories for me, people. Because I wanted Approval. I wanted to fit in. And, you know, we do this in a lot of different ways. It may be what we wear or as we get older. It might be what we possess. People come and they see my house and they go, wow, you must... You must be pretty successful. They see my car. They see my boat. They see my possessions. It might be that. It might be my education. Well, I'm going to put all of my money into my education. I'm going to mortgage my future and my family's future because I need a particular piece of paper upon my wall from a particular school so that people will think well of me. Say, wow, you must be really intelligent, smart, wise. I chase after these things. Or it may be, it may be my, my body. Right, physically I want people to admire and approve and accept maybe it's the things that I wear, or maybe it's you know, not just putting money into my clothes, but I I get the best personal trainer, right? And I eat only organic foods and I work out multiple times a day, and I, I I've got essential oils that I can put everywhere on me and in my house, and I've got vitamins and supplements, right? And I'm not saying any of those things are necessarily bad, but what I'm saying is this. Do you know how much money Americans spent on vitamins last year 2016 30 billion dollars on vitamins and supplements <laughs> right? I'm just like wow man if all of us just cut our fish oil in half we could feed the poor right 30 billion dollars none of none of these things are are bad but if I am so invested in my body, so people will think well of me. It's become an idol. It's, it's an idol of praise or approval. Security. Safety. Is it bad to save? No, but I can, I can be idolatrous with my money by how I spend it or by how I hoard it. I had a friend tell me just recently, as we've been going through the series, he said, you know, I finally realized that my emergency fund... Had become a security fund. So, you know, I need an emergency fund in case of illness or a car breaks down, or we've got that's wise financial planning, but he said I had so much in there it was really my security fund. It says in the book of Proverbs, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it to be a wall that's too high to scale. I'm safe, I'm secure. Power can be an idol. My life is good when I'm in control. Right? I'm in control of relationships, I'm in control of my job, I'm in control of my health, I'm in control of my future. I'm, I'm in control. right? And this can manifest itself in, in lots of different ways. Like right, you, Maybe you go to a meal with someone and you pay, maybe because you want their approval, or you want love. Or maybe you want power over the relationship. Or maybe you want to prove that you have so much money that you can buy everybody lunch all the time. right? Or maybe you're just buying lunch because you're generous and kind. I, I don't know. But I'm saying all these things can be idols. Uh, I discovered a few years back, you know, there are not enough uh, women in China for all of the men to have a wife. It was the one-child policy. Families would discard The girls and they would keep the boys because the boys could get a job and they could uh, provide for the family. And so now they're hitting this point in in this this generations of this policy where there aren't enough women. And so what's happening, uh, particularly you see it in rural China, is that these young men are taking all of their family's wealth and they're building a really huge house so that they can attract a wife, so they can get love. Because if there's a a young woman who's born and raised up in the rural village, she leaves and goes to the city so she can have her pick of successful men. So there aren't there aren't enough. And they think money can buy me love, right? So I'm going to gather all the family wealth so I can get love. And, you know, we go, oh man, that's just crazy. But we do it here. But if I, again, I wear the right clothes, I get the right job, I have the right house, I, I can attract and get, get love. Well, it may be an idol. I may do all kinds of things where I compromise my integrity to get affection and love. Family. So say, wait, no, family can't be, family's not an idol. Well, I, I saved one of the best for last, right? Because among Christians, this can be easily um, excused, but it's actually an idol. Right? My life will be full and satisfying and complete if my family does well. And my kids go to that school. And my kids are successful in this manner. And, you know, really, I've learned I don't actually have anything left over to share because I have to provide for my family. Let me give you just a couple silly illustrations. You know, and maybe you relate maybe you don't. But um, imagine you, you uh, have uh, your little girl, little, little Susie, and little Susie, is, uh, she's, she's a prodigy. I mean, really, early in life you could, you could tell this because, you know, she rolled over at one point, she picked up a triangle shape, and she reached over and moved it toward a triangle hole. I mean, like, that's a phenomenal spatial reasoning. You're like, oh my gosh. And I think she said the word triangle. Well, maybe there was a, like a T sound and an L and an R in there, but she was thinking triangle. We will invest in her future and her education. In fact, we're going to we're gonna, we're gonna get a second mortgage on the house so that she can go to MIT and get a degree in mechanical engineering and become an astronaut and be the first woman on Mars. right? Because she's just amazing. We, we can't actually share anything because this is, she's life for us. Right? Or maybe it's, it's little Billy and he rolls over in his crib and he grabs a ball, an autographed baseball, and you go, oh my gosh, he's, he's it. He's the natural. He will, right, he, this is, we will invest in him. He will be our retirement fund. He needs a batting coach. We're going to get Paul Molitor, and we're going to have to fly up to Minnesota every couple of weeks for his personal batting coaching from Paul Molitor. But this is how we will retire, because he's amazing, right? And we, we, we sacrifice everything for the sake of our little prodigies, because families become an idol. And we can write it off because, in a sense, uh, I would say, all of these things have good in them. Right? All of these things have, have good in them. And, and really, to me, you know, that's, that's the, the risk here. Because good things make the best idols. Okay, stay with me. Good things make the best idols. Drugs and alcohol don't make a very good idol because your relationships can fall apart quickly, and it's really obvious in your physical body. And so society says, "Bad." You're, those are bad idols. Those are bad addictions. But there are good things that can become an idol, and society can even go, "Wow, way to go, way to go!" Right? The the young man who's man he is into his body. Because he needs approval. And so he works out over and over. and I mean, every day. He's four hours in the gym. And he's got all of his supplements. And I even saw a documentary where a guy got, got implants in his calf muscles. Because every other muscle was developed as he wanted it, but not his, his calves. And he literally is like, man, people will like really think well of me when they see my calf muscles, right? And, you know, and in our society, we can look at someone like that and we can say, man, he is so self-disciplined. And the Lord's saying, no, he's... He's really an idolater. Or the mom who, she cuts absolutely every coupon, and she saves and saves and saves and saves, and she never says, I can't can't go out to Starbucks and and get that coffee drink, because I've just got to be really, really careful. And you go, wow, you're really great at preparing for your family's future. That's really wise, when in fact she's just living in fear. She's hoarding because she's living in fear. Now, that said, remember, all of these things can be really wonderful things, but what happens is they can... Begin to rise up and encroach upon the place that only God should hold. You can can have multiple affections in life, but only one thing can be preeminent. Only one thing. Jesus said, You cannot serve God and money. You can't have two masters. You can't have God and wealth because you'll love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other and other words, Only one thing can be preeminent. And whatever that thing is, that's your God or your idol. And we all have them. John Calvin once said, Every one of us is, even from his mother's womb, a master craftsman of idols. That's powerful, isn't it? Every one of us is, even from his mother's womb, a master craftsman of idols. Of idols, and it is very tempting for us to say, uh, you know, I can manage this addiction. I can can manage a little bit of idolatry. I can, in a sense, I can really have the best of both worlds. Brian, didn't you say that we should enjoy all things richly that the Lord has given us? I I can control this. I can manage this. You know, I don't know if there are idols that have crept into your heart. I can tell you this Satan is constantly trying to get you to make idols. You know that? He's constantly trying to split your affections between God and things on earth. Remember, Israel didn't just jettison the Lord and ignore the Lord. They added alongside. Because they didn't get what they wanted when they wanted it. They said to themselves, I'll go find it for myself. And as soon as that temptation comes up in our lives, we have moved toward idolatry and it's dangerous. I want you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 9, Paul says, But those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation. They've made themselves vulnerable. Why do they want to get rich? Because they want piles of money? No, they want to get rich because they need money to chase an idol. So those who have allowed Idolatry, even in tiny forms, to begin to creep into their lives. They're at risk because they fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. And that word for plunge literally was to, for somebody to be drowned in the sea. Paul says, This is going to kill you, this is going to destroy your life. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's not money that's the problem, but it's the love of money. And why do we love money? For what money can do for us. And Paul says it's, it's destructive, because the love of money, or greed, that is the desire to have more, that is idolatry. And idols, they can't satisfy you. You have this God-shaped vacuum, as Pascal said, that can only be filled by him. So idols make you these false promises. It's like pouring water into a broken vessel, and you just pour and you pour and you pour. And what you discover, like any addiction, is you have diminishing returns. So that's why you become greedy. you got to have more. And you gotta have more. And you gotta have more. And and as you're pursuing those idols, you know what happens? Your relationships around you don't work well because you're entering into them for power over people, or because you're insecure and you need something from other people, and so you're a taker, not a giver. Right? And and there's conflicts, the ruin and destruction. He describes it. You know, the number one reason listed on divorce papers for people why they they're pursuing divorce is money. There are other issues that push people apart, but money is the number one. I've sat with with so many families who are exploding because they're fighting over an inheritance. And I want to say, you do know you didn't earn it, right? (laughs) Somebody else earned it, and they're trying to give it to you. But brothers and sisters and cousins all begin to fight, 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 fight. Why? Because they're idolatrous, right? And they're demanding their rights. I've got to have more. I have to have, I have to have more of that. Why? Because I love cash? No, I've got an idol that needs to be served, and you're standing in the way of that, and so now I hate you. And I've seen families just get totally torn apart, and they don't speak to one another for years and years and years and years. Because money just has that power, because our idols become threatened to destroy us. So why does God want to crush these idols? Because God's really insecure, right? He's sitting in heaven going, gosh, I hope they like me. <laughs> I really need to be liked. I made all these creatures in my image so that so they would like me. No, God doesn't need anything from us. right? We talked about that right at the beginning. God doesn't need our money because he made everything. And for all of eternity, God was, in a sense, satisfied and complete. That, that's just fundamental theology of the nature of God. God didn't make us because he needed something from us. God is fine. God wants our worship because he's worthy, but also because that's best for us, right? He made us in his image and he made us to need him, to need, need to be in, in deep relationship with him and to have him preeminent in our lives. And that's the only place that we're full and rich and satisfied is only when he is enthroned and only he is enthroned. So he wants to crush our idols because that's best for us because it's, it's destructive, If we don't, that's why the first three of the Ten Commandments are all about worship the Lord your God, serve him only, do not make graven images, do not fall down before him, do not be foolish and destroy yourself. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 44 with me again and read verse 19. It says, No one recalls nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, wait a second, I burned half of it, that is this block of wood, I burned half of it in the fire so that I could be warm. Then I I baked bread over it and I, I roasted meat and then I ate the meat. But then I made the rest of this same thing that was burned in the fire to roast and to warm myself into an abomination. I'm falling down in front of a block of wood. Seriously. He feeds on ashes A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver himself, nor can he say, isn't there just a lie in my right hand? You know, one of the Hebrew words that's often translated idol is literally lie. (laughs) It's a lie. It can't give you what you ultimately want or need. It can't fulfill you, so just throw it in the fire. So how do we crush our idols? How How do we turn away from the lie, from the foolishness, and crush The idol. Read with me verse 21. The Lord says, Remember these things, right? Remember the exposure of the foolishness of the lie in your right hand. Remember these things, O Jacob. Remember these things, O Israel, because you are my servant. I have formed you, you are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, of forests and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and in Israel he shows forth his glory. How do we crush our idols? The first thing that we do is we renew our devotion to God. As soon as the Lord says, let me pull back the veil on... Idols Let me pull back the veil on the foolishness of the work of your hands that you think you can deliver you. Having pulled back the veil on that, he says, "Let me remind you now who I am right i 'm the one who rescued you, who redeemed you, I called you by name, you are mine, you 're my servant, Israel. I love you, and I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you know why it is so important to become a great worshiper? Like I mean, really. Grow the skill of worship. Learn to worship with your whole heart, passionately, unreserved, uninhibited. Because worship makes idols look stupid. Worship reminds us of how great and wonderful and awesome God is and all that he has done for us. Notice the connection here, Hebrews chapter 13, between money and God. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have because he said... I will never leave you or forsake you. I won't be greedy and want more, and I won't become idolatrous when I realize God loves me. And he's never going to leave me. And he's never going to forsake me. And all that I ultimately want and need, God gives. Remember our list of potential idols? We said it's actually kind of a good list. Anything wrong with family? No, family's great. Who invented family? God. Like right at the very beginning, he said, I'm going to create something and I'm going to call it family. God loves family. That's why God calls us the family of God, right? He wants us to have brothers and sisters that we are safe with and secure with. He's building for himself this family and we will be family for all of eternity. Loving one another, serving one another, enjoying one another. Family is good and really the ultimate family is found in God. That's why even Jesus said, you know, who are my brothers and my sisters and my, my mother and my father? Well, it's, it's actually all those who do the will of my father. Right? What you want in family, ultimately God wants for you in family. Pleasure, is pleasure good? Pleasure is great. A couple of weeks ago we talked about this. It was last week. You, you're made for pleasure. You're given a, given a body that's like designed to enjoy pleasure. Everything around you in this pleasurable world that God has created, whether it's sights and you know, colors or sounds that are beautiful or, or smells or taste or touch, your body is designed for pleasure in a pleasurable place. Pleasure is good, but when God says so, and in his timing, he will provide you. Approval? Is approval important? It is. Acceptance and love? Yeah. And isn't it amazing? God says, I accept you. And I actually know everything about you and I still love you. (laughs) That's wonderful. All those little things that you hide from everybody else, God knows those things. And He says, yeah, because of Jesus and I've removed all of the debt of sin, I love you, I approve of you, I accept you in my son Jesus. You're safe. You're secure. Is it wrong to be Longing for safety and security? No, in fact, for all of eternity, we will be safe and secure. We'll also be incredibly wealthy and rich and full and satisfied. All of those things God will provide. And so through worship, God reminds us of who he is, what he's done, and what he will provide for us. So our first reset on idolatry is to look at God, and then we look at idols and go, Oh, that's dumb. I don't want that. It's a false promise. Second, redirect our affections. Toward God. You know, we can redirect and change what we love. Turn again to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Why? Because God doesn't want us to pursue treasure? No. He says, Instead, Store up for yourselves treasures in earth where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. So we said, good theology is that God wants us to pursue enlightened self-interest. We are self-interested. We want what's best. And God says, well, then let me tell you what's best. What's best is not to pursue things that don't matter, that are just destroyed, that don't last. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Pursue these things. And then he goes on and he says in verse 21, because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, this has, in a sense, a dual meaning. What you spend your money on reveals what you love. Right? It's, a, it's a reflection of your heart, where your heart's affections are. But also, what you choose to spend your money on can redirect your affections. Right? If you want to really care about the poor in our community then start giving your money to Twin City Missions and SOS Ministries. And you know what? When you start sending checks there, then you're going to begin to care about those ministries, and you're going to begin to research how many poor do we have in the community, and what are their actual needs, and are they being met? Right? You can write a check. You may not say, well, I can just immediately change my affections. No, but if you redirect your resources, guess what? Your heart is actually going to begin to move that direction. Think about it in financial terms. If you invest in Exxon stock, you will begin to care about the price of oil. Right? You're going to begin to open up the paper and say, what's a barrel of crude cost these days? Actually, you know what? I better research what's happening in the Middle East right now where so much oil comes from because it's going to affect, it's going to affect the price of my stock. I'm going to begin to care about that. That is, I can choose to invest my money in something, and as soon as I do, you know what? My heart will follow. Where you put your money, where you direct your attention, where you direct your, your, your focus pulls your heart a certain direction. Now, if you have ever recently taught a teenager how to drive, okay, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, one of the skills that they have to learn is you have to learn how to change lanes. And to do that, you need to check your mirror and you need to look over your shoulder. The problem is when you're first learning to do that, as you turn and look over your shoulder, you also tend to like, pull the wheel with you, right? Why? That, it's just nature. It's just nature. And you move that direction. Well, it's the same thing. You, if you turn your attention towards something, specifically by directing your money toward that thing, you will begin to care about it. Several years ago, Tristan and I had the opportunity to go to Kazakhstan. And when we were given this opportunity... I had never heard of Kazakhstan. You know, kind of embarrassing to admit that. I thought I was decent at geography, but I was raised when the Soviet Union still existed. And so I didn't know that there were separate states and ethnic groups. I was was clueless. Well, there's a place called Kazakhstan, and now it's an independent nation again. I'm like, well, I better get out a map. And so I researched, where is it? And I found it on the map. And then I began to think, well, if we're going to go there and we're going to spend our time and our money in this place, I want to know more. And so I looked into language and culture and and the issues that the people were struggling with there. I mean, I began to care about it. And then it dawned on us, we said, you know what? I wonder if there are any Kazakh students at Texas A&M University. Maybe there are. Well, about the time that we were invited to go and we made our plans, it was uh, sometime in August, and like the next week, there was an international student event at the MSC, and Tristy was going to go up there. So I'm, I'm going to go up, and I'm going to see if I can find a Kazakh student, which is a little bit like Needle in the Haystack, right? So she's walking around the MSC, and she's looking at everybody's name tag, right? And she's scoping out everything. And then all of a sudden, this guy walks by her and says, Sayat, Kazakhstan. And you, not surprised if you know my wife. She chased him down, right? She chases him down, and she meets a Kazakh student at Texas A&M University, why? Because she's looking for it. Why was she looking for it? Because our resources were invested there now. But the next day, that was a Friday night. The next day, my parents were having a garage sale. Remember I told you about their last garage sale ever? It was that garage sale. And this, uh, this couple came up, and they were, they were speaking Russian. I don't know a lot of Russian enough. I'm like, you're speaking Russian? I went up to him and said, where, where are you from? They said, Russia, but I'm looking at the husband, I thought, he's not Russian, right? He looked a little more Asian, his cheekbones were kind of had a little, little Mongol maybe in there. I so, said, okay, but where are you from in Russia? He said, Kazakhstan. It's like, <clears throat> you, know, you know how many grad students were at a and from Kazakhstan at that point? Two. And in two days, we met both of them. Why? Because we were looking for them. And why were we looking for them? Because we were invested do you want your heart to turn toward things that matter forever? Write a check. Give your money. Right? Invest in people finding and following Jesus, and then you will care about people finding and following Jesus. That's how you turn your heart. Let God shape your heart and crush your idols. Why does God want us to be generous and joyful givers? Again, because he's insecure. Oh, I really hope they like me. No. Because it's what's best for us and he loves us. Right, so how do we apply this? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Uh, and as we do, uh, could the men who are serving communion, could you guys go back and get prepared? Let me give you uh, two ideas about how we can apply this. You know, Next week we're going to be working through our, our commitment card. And what I'd like for you to do is actually uh, take it out and think about it this week. Okay? And as you do, I want you to, to ask yourself a couple questions. If somebody looked at your financial statements, what would they say you love? Right? Not, not how you think you spend your money, but how you actually spend your money. It's said that if you look at a person's calendar or checkbook, you can tell what they actually love. So if somebody looked at that, what would they say that you love? Right? Have, you, have you found that, um, that really rich balance of stewardship where you enjoy what God has given, and you give thanks, and then you share and you give thanks. Right? Or do you take your money and it's a tool to chase your idols? Right? Let God, by the power of his spirit, reach into your heart and begin to shine his light. Maybe on some of those places where you said, well, I, I can just manage a little bit of idolatry here. But God doesn't really completely and utterly own your heart. Right? So I want you to take out that card and let, let, let that be a tool to think through. Idols that may need to be crushed by the Lord. Second thing, next week, we're going to give you another card. And this is a prayer card. And it gives you a place to write in one person in one place, a city or a nation, that God has laid on your heart, that you want to pray for. Because the reason that we're actually doing this whole process is to give God space to stir up our hearts for the nations and for our neighbors and people who are all around us who are completely enslaved to idols. It might be something that really looks good, like family or health or wisdom and savings. But ultimately, it's an idol. Or it may be something like drugs or alcohol. It could be a variety of things. But they think that life can be found apart from Jesus Christ. And we want to pray because they're enslaved. And we're going to continue to take those cards out actually all next year. Throughout the year, we're going to take moments in the services. We're going to pull them back out, and we're going to remind ourselves what the church is about. Right? We've found freedom in Jesus, and we want our friends and our family and our neighbors and the nations to know that same freedom that's found only in Jesus Christ. So I want you to begin thinking, uh, who's that friend that I want to pray for or that family member? Or maybe there's an entire list and you need five cards. That's great. But church, that's, that's why we're here. We've found freedom and we want our friends to find freedom as well. So as the servers come forward, I want you just to begin to think about one thing, and that's just giving thanks. At the, the Lord's Supper was a, it was a Thanksgiving ceremony where the church would say, God, thank you for giving us the body of Jesus broken for us. Thank you for giving the blood poured out to remove our sins. Thank you for for releasing us from sin and shame and slavery. So let's just take a few moments quietly. And give God thanks for what we've received in Jesus. And then we'll take the cup and the bread together in just a moment. In Ezekiel, the Lord said, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all of your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe all of my ordinances. This is a a promise of the new covenant that God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, would uh, wash away the debt of all of our sin, cleanse us from all of our filthiness, and from all of the idols, not just the little images, but from all of those little things that creep into our heart, and we're tempted to love those things more than or alongside of God. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from that, and it's the power of the Spirit of God dwelling in us that gives us the courage and the ability to say, no, we don't want those things. We just want the Lord. So let's give thanks together. Let's take first uh, the bread, which represents the body of Jesus Christ together. And now the cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for us. Let's take it together. Jesus, thank you for giving us your blood to wash away our sins. Thank you for giving us your body broken for us. The level of sacrifice is um, really beyond what we can comprehend. But you did that because you love us and and because you you long for us to have life, real life, genuine life, uh, to not be tricked and deceived and fooled into thinking we can find life outside of you. And I pray, Father, uh, that we would believe that and we would lean into Jesus and you would crush those idols and the foolishness in our hearts. Father, we thank you for giving Jesus to pay the ransom, rescue us from sin and death and slavery, to give us the the power of the Spirit, strength to see the idols in our lives crushed, our foolishness uh, exposed and then healed. Lord, teach us to live well and to live wisely, to live for things that that genuinely matter, to invest in eternity. And most of all, Father, give us hearts that are undivided and our love and worship for you. It's in Jesus Christ's powerful name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.